a Pulp MX Network production. The only athlete-to-athlete podcast in the sport. Questions from a different perspective. The hard questions you want answered about training, riding, and being a professional athlete. Not only in motocross, but in other sports realms as well. Welcome to Shifting Gears, the Zach Osborne Podcast. Yeah. In this episode of Shifting Gears, I sit down with Andrew Short to talk a little bit about motocross, but um, more about rally and off-road. Uh, Andrew's a super likable guy, had a great career in motocross, and is now finding his feet in rally and uh, the sport of off-road racing, a completely different side of things that he uh, didn't grow up doing. So it's really cool to hear his story, and I uh, hope you guys learned some things that maybe you didn't know about rally previously or uh, just take the time to look up more things about the sport of rally enjoy what's up guys shifting gears episode nine i'm here with andrew short we're at the thunder valley national in colorado friday um kind of chilling in the afternoon um thank you for your time andrew i really appreciate it i'm glad you're here yeah i'm stoked this is the best place on earth uh i love it here really good memories and uh, honored to be on your podcast so thanks for having me no problem dude thanks for your time um I do have a soft spot for Colorado myself. I, I stayed a couple months um, with Eli and Durango, and, and I enjoyed it. And my wife and I were actually reminiscing about it a little bit on the way here. Like, it's just such a unique and, uh, like, safe-feeling place. You know, you never feel out of place or, um, you know, in danger, I guess. I don't know why that is. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. And now that I'm older, uh, you typically only remember the, the good memories, right? Right. And I love to trail right up here in the summer. Um, and I typically forget what it was like to be a kid growing up here. You know, I would uh, sit in school looking out the window and, and see the snow coming down and just wish I was a homeschooled kid living in California or Florida riding my dirt bike every day. But I think later on that uh, proved to be uh, a good thing for me. It, it gave me uh, a lot of motivation and, and appreciation for when I was able to ride. So uh, Colorado was a good place to grow up, but uh, it's definitely uh, some good memories. Yeah, I totally understand, like, you know, just growing up in a place where um, maybe moto wasn't as prominent, you probably didn't ride much in the winter. Yeah, exactly. Just, like, sort of three months off the bike and focusing on school and such? Yeah, and even as I got older, you know, once I got in my teenage years, I would ride when it was freezing cold and whatever, just because the desire was there and I had a goal uh, to be better, but, and I was you know thankful that i had a father who was just as dedicated in that aspect that when school got out you had an hour until it got dark and you went and motored so um but colorado in the summer and in the mountains is one of the best places to ride um in my opinion and uh so i have a lot of like you said you know when you when you reminisce uh, about colorado that's what you think about for sure i uh i you know i grew up a little bit the same not not quite colorado gnarly but you know we had gnarly winters i i did school until uh eighth grade and uh then was homeschooled but also sort of the same thing was just picked up from school put your gear on in the van on the way to get to the track and and ride for as long as you could before dark fell yeah those are some of the best memories i have of riding really even when you're riding when it's dark and you don't realize your dad's like like, hey you gotta stop i can't see you anymore (laughs) right there yeah so fun um i remember the very first time i ever saw andrew short and that was uh minio's 99 maybe you crushed it cowie axo gear 
Yeah. Like, just really crushed them. Yeah, I don't know the year. Um, it had like to be 99. 99, 2000. But, yeah, I had a really good year at Minio's. I won every event except for the first one, which was a Grand Prix. And Super sketch. Yeah, I mean, back then I didn't care. If yeah. I was on my dirt bike, I didn't think about the danger aspect, you know. But for me, it was cool because you're back in the woods and riding things you would never typically ride um, at that age for me, you know. And so I enjoyed it. But, yeah, I, towards the end of my amateur career, everything started to click. Um, I went through public school the whole time. So at that point, uh, I was about to graduate, and I was riding a lot more and, and definitely more serious. So um, from that point on, it by the my career just kind of took off i you know i obviously the first couple years you weren't on a factory team but you're on decent equipment would you say yeah the first year i was involved with the team green program and i had a basically a tryout or a program put together that would allow me to grow and ride for mitch's team for three supercrosses and three outdoors and um uh, I didn't have much guidance. It's kind of like you're just thrown into the races. It's not like these kids today where they'll be a part of a program and you have a coach and they're used to the – they're basically prepped and right. ready to go. I was just kind of thrown into it. And me and Josh Woods were on a similar program. I did the West Coast. He did the East Coast. And it didn't go that well, honestly. <laughs> I, I did really good at my first race. And uh, the second Supercross in San Diego was a bit muddy, and I didn't even qualify. And to be a part of uh, Mitch's program and to not qualify – was was not uh, a very pleasant that, thing. That you were ever on PC for some reason. Yeah, no, I was number seventy nine on a Cowie, and I did those first three races of Bull Series, and yeah. then I also had to race Amateur Nationals as well. Okay, so I did Loretta's that year. It was the first year I actually won at Loretta's, and uh, James Stewart was also coming through the program, and so he obviously went to Factory Cowie. Right, but. At the end of the year, I didn't have the opportunity to stay with Mitch, and I signed with the Motor World Suzuki team uh, that Paul Lindsay ran. And it was a blessing in disguise because I got to race all the time with no pressure and no spotlight like a pro circuit team, and it allowed me to grow and develop skills as a racer and flourish. So my first year on that team didn't go so well, but then in uh, 2003, I did really good. I was on the podium, and at the end of the year at the East-West shootout, I ended up winning. Um, and that's the race that Stewart just killed himself. Yeah, yeah, over the finish line. I watched that race not too long ago. Um, that crash was gnarly. Yeah, it was big. Really Massive. big. But that track was gnarly, too. There was some other... I want to say there was a quad that he was jumping on the front straightaway, like the longest straightaway. Exactly. He was, was jumping huge. all over the table. Yeah. and for a 125, it was like, Oh, it was massive, like you said, yeah. I mean, I won the main event, and I wasn't even jumping the triple, you know? So that tells you what that day and age was like. Yeah, Um, definitely a different... You you raced a couple different eras there, like where there were still 125s. You raced 125 Supercross, right? Yep. Just 125, not 250F? Uh, No, I ended up 250F in 2005 and 2006 on Honda. But you raced 125, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I raced... Yeah. Yeah. 2001, 2003, oh, okay. and 4. And 2004 was tough. I was on an RM125 on a private team racing against like <laughs> Pro Circuit yeah. 250Fs. It wasn't pretty. Uh, the saving grace for me is I got to ride the opposite coast on a 252-stroke, and I did really good um, on basically a stock bike, and that's how I had the opportunity to go to Factory Honda just because I was able to showcase my talents that way, where on the 125 2-stroke, I was just getting smoked. Yeah, and you found a found a home there for quite a while at honda and dude i always was like so i mean you can ask my my mom who's here today like 
Andrew Short was my guy at that time. Like, I always just loved how you carried yourself. You were so clean cut. Like, it was just kind of what I was, my goal, what I was shooting for. Like, that was pretty awesome time for you, I feel like. <laughs> it's funny to hear you say that because I, I appreciate the kind words, but I, looking back, I feel like, you know, riding for Factory Honda, you're expected to win and you want to win. So anything less is, it feels like a, like a failure, you know. So I had a lot of good years and I, I did everything I could. I have no regrets looking back. And obviously I made uh, many uh, mistakes, but it wasn't for a lack of effort. And uh, I really enjoyed that time and, you know, being involved with that group. And it's kind of a shame because it's kind of like Ferrari of F1, you know. If you're yeah. not winning, it's like it's considered a failure. And at that time, especially, I joined the team right after Ricky left. Um, and they had so much success with them. And um, I really wanted to... Uh, win for myself but really for the team because those guys worked so hard so I had a lot of great years but I never was able to win uh, like I hoped well I mean success I guess is you know in the eye of the the person who's trying to make it but, yeah, yeah. You know, in my eyes at that time I was just like man that is like the pinnacle of life like right there that's <laughs> well thanks it. I appreciate the comments um, so you were able to win 125 Supercrosses, a 250 Supercross, or 450 Supercross. Outdoors? Won outdoors, right? Um, No, I never won an overall. I won motos, but I was never able to win an overall Couple, for outdoors. One appearance on Team USA? Or? Yeah, and that here, was... right? Yeah, and it was awesome. It was here in Colorado, and this is a track I, you know, I was able to race as a kid, right. and just to have a national in Colorado was huge, but to have motocross the nations was unbelievable, and to be selected for the team and everything was... Uh, too good to be true. So that's definitely one of the highlights of my career was motocross the nations here in Lakewood. You mentioned being riding here as a kid. I remember my dad was a drag racer, so we used to come to Bandemir yeah, a couple yeah. times a year. And I remember coming every year, and my dad would be like, hey, look at that track. And I was like, like being from the East Coast and coming here, I always remember it being just like black, hard, yeah. like super hard pack. Yeah. And I'm like, dad, they don't they don't ride there anymore. Like there's no way they still ride there. <laughs> I can only imagine your thoughts yeah. as you drove by. You know, it looked pretty hokey. I'm sure and, and they had nationals here in the past and for me that was uh, like an allure you know like oh this is the old national yeah. track you know so um, but yeah it I was, mean I grew up at Muddy Creek which is like yeah you know, back then it was like super black dirt like you know loamy eight yeah. ruts in each corner the yeah. whole deal and then I see this and then the first time I went to California I'm like dad like don't don't make it don't make yeah, it yeah. like, this yeah. is not good I can only imagine yeah so now you know, not that I don't want to, not that I want to like move past your motocross career, but because it was awesome. But now you're doing this rally thing. Like, how did you even end up close to doing the rally thing? Like, was it a passion your whole life? Like, I never knew you were even much of a trail rider, to be honest. Yeah, no, I, I love dirt bikes. And at the end of my motocross career, I started coming up here to Colorado, trail riding more. I went to an event uh, with the Colorado Trail Preservation Alliance, the TPA, and they put on the Colorado 600 and just started meeting more and more people. I'd hear about rally, and obviously, I don't know, it was, sounded cool, whatever. I never really paid attention, like most of North America. It's not a very big race here um, with Dakar. But uh, I was working for Honda once I did finally retire. I had a huge passion for off-road, and I went and rode uh, the durability bike for the rally team. And once I rode the bike, I'm like, okay, I got to learn how to navigate. And then it was hooked. And then I tried uh, the Sonora Rally, which is down in, in Mexico. 
and from that point on it was i was consumed by it it was uh, a sense of adventure a massive challenge it wasn't just about speed you had to be intelligent um you had to have strategy uh it's just on all different um fronts there's all these different um it took so much to be successful and it was all new to me it was a new challenge and uh it felt like a kid exploring again you know and for my whole life it was all about a lap time and a position and um which i loved it consumed me but now this was uh, a new love and a, a new way to go ride a motorcycle and explore and it just had a lot of excitement so from that point on all i wanted to do is learn how to navigate and try to figure it out and so it's kind of like a bad drug uh, it's it's one of those things that you got to be careful with rally and i've learned now traveling around the world that all these people have this bug that they've been bitten by um, it's a special little like niche group huh? yeah it's it's crazy and unfortunately the funds and the expenses it takes to do this style of racing like most desert racing is is quite extravagant but it's really cool on many different levels Uh, speaking of niche group uh the boys at the factory and i were looking the other day at linden posket i see you like his stuff and follow stuff. yeah yeah. that's it like a niche guy like he is just sending it in the middle of freaking nowhere all the time and it blows my mind like i you know Coming from this whole motocross and supercross world, where it's all pretty dang controlled environment, it's cookie cutter. You know? yeah, like yeah, it's very simple compared to navigating your way through the middle of Egypt by yourself. You yeah, know? like that's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah, and you know you have a goggle. <laughs> Not that go- that's rally, but it's yeah, just no, but that's the appeal to it, you know, and um, it's even now it's like I. I've been doing this for two years and I dedicate everything to it and I still don't have it wired. And I thought I would have caught on much sooner. You know, I was thinking like all three, four months and (laughs) I'll be at the top level, you know, and I was completely wrong. And now I'm much closer. I'm I'm much more competitive and I feel like here in the future I have a great opportunity, but it's endless. And I don't know. It's, it's strange because it's hard to describe to people and it, it's kind of like the Tour de France you always say it has the same promoter with ASO and the endurance aspect but it's the world's toughest motorcycle race and for a reason and once you experience it it's hard to put the words and, and explain it to somebody that hasn't been there and it's a shame because you're in all these places that are so remote and no one can really see what you're going through the emotions the feelings um the cultures and how hard you know you work day in and out or you what you go through the adversity and when you overcome it it's hard to explain when you get back to the mechanics yeah you can like how put it yeah, in perspective yeah and i don't know but for me it's it's something special and i feel like if the american or north american public would would really find out what the this race was all about it would just take off it's it's the everest of racing uh dirt bikes and and motorsport in general you know from the cars and trucks and side by sides and it's it's a whole nother animal yeah it is the most viewed event of the year i believe as far as motorsport goes right i think yeah the numbers are outrageous crazy. you know and here it's crazy because everybody knows obviously about motocross and supercross um here in the states and it's it's big but dakar is, is on a world level is massive yeah. so i mean when we're training there's this one girl laya she rides for ktm we stop at the gas station and people like surround her you Straight know up. it's like yeah or, you know it's like so it's funny to see 
the differences in the cultures and and what people pay attention to around the world. Fly Racing USA. Dudes, I love a BOA system, okay? If it were up to me, everything would be BOA. No more shoelaces, no more snaps, just BOA. BOA everything. So when Fly told me they were putting the BOA system on some of their pants, totally stoked. I love everything I have from Fly. And one thing that people probably don't know is they make some pretty sick mountain bike stuff. So when I'm out on my Levo crushing it, I love to wear Fly. Check them out, flyracing.com. I I have a massive passion for rally. I watch every rally that I can get on my TV or computer every year. I mean, it's something that definitely interests me in the future. But, like, at the same time, there's this side of me that thinks that, like, you know, on a marathon stage, I'll just have some kind of epic emotional meltdown. Like, <laughs> I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I can't yeah. even... Yeah, I know. Really. There's something, to, I mean, that's what's cool about it. You're in the middle of the dunes in Morocco and but Is it cool or is it sketchy? Yeah, no, it's sketchy, you know? <laughs> but it makes you appreciate things when you come home. But you've ridden all day. Uh, your bike's hammered. You're trying to figure it out and, you know, checking. You have a whole checklist what you go through and doing your road book. And you go in these tents that they're not really tents they're like blankets held up by a few sticks and you're eating food that <laughs> i see a little the, dodgy yeah. yeah yeah and there's you see people come out of these showers that are tense and you just have a cup of hot water you pull you know you pour over your head and you just call it good i never take showers i think it's so cool i'm like the one guy that's like thinks it's awesome and the rest <laughs> of the guys are like this is horrible you know but they've been doing it for years and for me, it's still new and fresh and exciting, and it's so out of this world that I really just embrace it. And I think it's it's, it's cool. It, those are memories that I'll never forget, you know. And, and riding through some of these canyons, like at that same race, you're riding through canyons where these houses are made out of uh, mud, and they're dug into these cliffs, and you see the kids come out with no shoes, and they're kicking like a soccer ball, and they have no clothes on, basically. And it's just like those are things that, I'll never forget. And they're like, become a part of you. And um, rally is unique too because you transfer so that after a marathon stage, you'll transfer to wherever you're going to start. You start racing, and but there'll be speed zones, you know, along the way or, you know, in, uh, on the road book. And so you'll be essentially racing through a town or through a heritage site, you know, and you're yeah. going 30 kilometers an hour waiting, you know, for two kilometers to get through the section. You just look around and in the middle of a race, you just wish you could stop and, and take a picture or take it in. And then next thing you know, you're wide open again, you know, going somewhere to the next place. And you, you forget until the end of the day and someone will say, Hey, what about, you know, we went through this. Uh, you're like, Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you see so much stuff throughout the day and these experiences that are really special and cool. And I, it's like things you'll never forget, but you, it's hard to absorb and take everything in from all these uh, races and places you go to. Yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine like it feels, I mean, to me watching from the outside, it seems like you just need like an endless GoPro loop of, everything yeah. you've seen to remember even a quarter of it i mean yeah. your brain has to be working so hard to just do the navigation part not let alone navigation at speed you know managing fuel all those things that yeah. go into it it must be a little bit hard to kind of 
enjoy that at some stages yeah that's the shame and there's many things to think about like what you said and even fuel levels when you're switching tanks and um strategy with the other riders where you're at compared like if you catch a group or at the fuel zone when you're filling up you can kind of see your time gap if you need to push or pull back and because you don't want to open the stage the next day or you know there's all these things you have to think about and you that's what makes it special it's not some days it's just all about going fast and the next day it's about being smarter than the next person so and sometimes the road book's not right and you can't find the right waypoint and all these things so it's uh it's unique and addictive it's just hard to it's hard to put it for me to put it into words to describe it how cool it is one thing that i was explaining to like i got i have a rally bike um as you know but when i got it like most of the boys on the team even thought you know they're like so where does the gps go and i'm like no 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 there's no gps like you have a gps tracker but you're navigating from a paper map that you've literally marked with highlighters the night before that are more or less your lifeline where you're going and also marking the dangers and the the turns and and everything that you're supposed to see on the trail but like you said that's not always 100 percent correct like how sketchy does that get yeah and honestly with that there's a lot of cheating i think uh all the teams they have people they have uh they're getting they're getting rid of all this that's why i i feel like it's appropriate to talk about but they have map men that will they you get the road book normally about three or four in the afternoon and then they can figure stuff out on certain teams they have a process to figure it all out so you mark your road book and try to you know do all that but now the organizations are finding ways to prevent you from doing that or looking ahead and and figuring it out on maps so now in the future they're going to give you the road book right before you go so you're not going to be able to mark it and they're going to come with a colored um already pre-colored you know a universal coloring so but that's got to be sketchy because you guys all have your own system as to colors exactly but it's going to be the same for everybody now so you're really gonna i think it's going to slow the racing down it's going to make it more fair and um but yeah so basically you have an an odometer that tells you the distance and one of those computers sits on the top left your other top right computer is basically your cap heading it's a direction and so that gives you uh it's some information to make sure you're going the right direction and in places like the sand dunes where there's no references you go on a, a cap heading you know similar to like sailing or something yeah. like that so in these uh, paper road books which you're talking about it you know it'll say at kilometer 24 they'll have a drawing uh, tulip is what they call it and it shows an arrow of what the road should look like theoretically whether you go left right you know or if there's a danger there you know a cliff or mountain or you know rocky whatever and then typically on the right there's the extra information on that paper road book which will give you a cap heading sometimes or um, what the danger is like and, and so you scroll through that throughout the day and um, it's your lifeline, like you said. If you get to a kilometer, you know, 50, and it says the road turns or there's a cliff and you don't see it and you don't chop the gas. Um, <laughs> it's not oh, going to be good. Yeah. And, and the fear as a rally racer is the note before you, you turned left, and maybe there was two lefts and you did the wrong one. Right. And you think there's no dangers and you're on the wrong road. Right. And well, when you're wide open it's and it says it, there's no dangers and all of a sudden you hit a fence or something, that's where it gets dodgy, you know. And yeah. So you're always trying to, you, yeah, you're trying to ride on what you can see. And, but a lot of riders, they put a lot of faith in that road book. 
and uh, sometimes that can bite you. But, man, I've seen some gnarly tracks, you know, where you're coming behind and you're on some mountain road and you just see where somebody locked it up and just launched it off some. Yeah, (laughs) and they're way down there. You know, and, and that's the bad feeling about rally is there there is some danger to it, and the speeds are high. And um, at Dakar, it's nice because there's a lot of helicopters, and you feel like if you crash, there'll be somebody there. Pretty quick. Yeah, pretty quick. But sometimes some of these races, there's one or two helicopters, one at the start and one at the finish, and it might be a while. So, what's uh what's the sketchiest thing you've seen, like during the race? Not not so much like surroundings, but like yeah, the racing part of it. I think mostly it's just wildlife or like drops that you can't see, you know, where the road gets twisty. And, um, like two years ago, I saw a dead llama on the side and Laya hit it. She smashed it. I'm like, Hey, (laughs) what about that llama? She's like, and she's a big animal lover, you know, she was devastated, but she's like, Oh, I'm so happy. It was the animal not me. You know? And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty heavy, you know, to think about it. But there's moments like, even this year at Dakar, I was going up a valley, and I kept looking for the waypoint to open on that computer box, like what you said, right. that most people think is a GPS, and it's not. It just keeps track of your, your waypoints to make sure you didn't cheat, and it keeps you on course. Um, I was looking for it. It didn't pop up, and I'm still wide open on the gas just going up a valley. And uh, I looked back up, and there was, like, a sand spit, kind of like a snow drift, you know, and mm. just hit it and full-on, you know feet off the back you know and flying w and when i came down i got really lucky uh my ears were ringing but nothing was broke and you know you get up and it was the next valley over oh. so i was off and off of valleys and more or less the cap heading was right but it wasn't you know and um so there's situations like that that are just dodgy kind of all the time but uh it's, it's kind of how it is and you know in the desert I think the kids that grow up in it, they can read the terrain so well. Yeah. And it's a skill that they've learned and it's natural to them. Where motocross guys, we ride prep tracks all the time. We can, you know, it's like you you know how to read ruts and jumps and all that. And they have a special skill for it. So that's taken me a long time to learn. Um, without a doubt. I mean, it's like even your eyes adjusting to dunes and stuff. Like I, I rode in Glamis. That's, well, I, I, I walked a bunch of tests in Argentina. I didn't get to ride them, but yeah. uh, I rode in Glamis one time. And I remember just like at the end of the day, just being like super snow blind and, and like disoriented. And, and Glamis is this very minute place compared yeah. to the stuff you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's like micro. And I, I feel like, having grown up in that stuff you would be able to adapt or you know it's more natural to you yeah and even me like in abu dhabi and the they have one section of dunes that are just massive but they play i don't know they play tricks on your brain and i get super seasick and just throw up and because i can't see the the depth perception you know and so uh that's been hard for me to learn things like that and um but those are special places of the world. You know, the empty quarter, it's like in that area, they're just massive dunes, just mountains, you know? And, yeah. Uh, Some of the pictures I see, I'm like, man, that, like, it's unfathomable that is, that is just a giant pile of sand. It's, yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, you mentioned food a minute ago when you were talking about the um, marathon stages. Like, what do you do for food? I see you t- pack tons of stuff from here, bars and whatnot, but like, to really sustain yourself you need tons of calories per day you know 
to to make it through the race so like how does that work it's got to be sketchy sometimes yeah no it is sketchy and you just kind of got to get over it like in morocco when we go there you don't eat any fruits or vegetables and it's kind of like going to mexico you know you're afraid to eat certain foods and getting your stomach upset and whether it's coming out both ends you can't keep riding like that for days you know so um it's it's hard um and sometimes you just kind of like in a marathon stage you have whatever food they provide you with and everyone has to eat it right Which is like so pig slop or what i mean no, what are we talking? Uh, most of them are pretty nice like you have some like rice and chicken and some they normally have like cola or something you can spend some money on yeah. and get you know and like any type of sugar after that long of being on the bike is nice but with motocross and supercross like you said everything's so cookie cutter you can be really regimented with rally you have to be really average with everything and i feel like from your training and all that you just have to be ready to adapt and adjust to to what you're presented with and i think also with rally a lot of the guys are bigger and i feel like the guys that are really lean and small if they crash they're the ones who break and and so that's a different thing i've learned also and I feel like Um, you were always one of the more, like, you were on the front end of the whole meticulous training, eating, uh, regimented program uh, in in our world, and Supercross and Motocross, that's obviously been a massive adjustment for you, or just more, like, middle-of-the-road kind of thing? No, I valued that when I raced. I put a lot of power and emphasis, and uh, if I... I really believe that all those little things added up to something. Um, I'm a little little guy, too. Yeah. So, I don't know, and maybe I put too much power into that, where if something wasn't perfect, then mentally I was a little fragile in that aspect when it got to racing, and so that was one of my downfalls, I think, also, but now, I've that's why I love rally, it's like, it's so pure, and you just have to go and, and make the best of it, and it's a huge challenge in that aspect, you know, it's like, nothing's perfect, if your bike breaks, you gotta figure it out, if your bars are, you know, broken, like, what are you going to do to get to the finish? Because it's going to be a long time waiting there in the middle <laughs> yeah. of the dunes until someone comes to get you. Yeah. You know? So that's what I like. And knowing that I overcame that adversity. So food is difficult. You know, learning to repair my bike and to know how to, everything works on that thing it was a big adjustment. You know, I always had a race mechanic and um, somebody to help me with practice stuff at home. And thankfully, technically, I was able to... I, I I like doing it in the past, so I'm not like completely um, ignorant, and that's something I really like to do. But I had to learn those things, so um, that's been an adjustment. How you train, um, all these things, and the mentality. Of the, the first time I went to the first race, there's this one guy, Antoine Mayo. He's an endu- past enduro champion, world yeah. enduro champion, amazing guy. Um, being clueless, um, spoiled motocross guy from the U.S. I hardly knew who he was, and I see him after the first day, and he's drinking a beer you know after the end of the test and then he opened another one i'm like what is happening you know like you never see a motocross guy at the end of the day like yeah. testing just cracking up a few cold ones and it's like he was just thankful to be al- like he had some massive crashes i mean this guy lives life to the fullest you know and he was just happy to be alive and i'm like whoa dude rally's gnarly yeah. like gnarlier than i thought you know so that mentality it's like you're not here for a long time you're here for a good time like toby price is always saying that and I, I truly believe he lives every day to the fullest and just content to like go out with a bang. Yeah, sort of thing. and honestly, I, I wasn't like that. I'm still kind of I flirt with danger quite often, but I'm not on that level. And <laughs> those guys, 
Um, they live life on the edge. They do everything on the edge. Yeah. And that's the rally mentality. If you want to be good, it, it doesn't matter if you're driving the rental car from dinner to the hotel with those guys. <laughs> you see your life flash in front of you. You know, it's like, and as a sheltered kid and being motocross and square and having all these little things add up, you know, like I was, I lived a very boring life, but I, I really enjoyed, you know, racing. That was my main goal. And to see how these guys live is full gas and that's rally. And it makes me smile. And that's part of the addiction is kind of living life. Um, like there's no tomorrow and yeah. it's really cool. I, I get that. I mean, I've done two, six days now. Um, I think that whole like enduro side of things is mm-hmm. kind of more like that. Like they're just they're just having a good time. Yeah, it's more bikes. loose. Yeah, it, it's good for perspective though as a motocrosser because it's like, dude, like what we do is so small, such a short period of time. Yeah, and, like we really should lighten up a little bit, you know? Yeah, I, I think so. And that's why I enjoy it because it's it's kind of like why you started riding, you know? Yeah. And so it gets lost when it turns into your job and you don't want to have any regrets, so you try to be as close to perfection as possible. And if, you, if you're not that way, then you feel like you're letting the people down around you that support you, too. Right. And with rally, it's like you come back after the rally and, dude, everyone's clapping. It's the strangest <laughs> thing. You could be 15th and they're just, like, stoked to see you, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, oh, okay. You made it back. You made alive. it back, yeah. And you're like... I don't know. It took me a while to kind of embrace this culture and this uh, way that they perceive life and how they approach racing. And um, and that's the beauty of it. Uh, it's completely different. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned training a little bit. Like, obviously, it's not Supercross and Motocross, like, regimented every day, that sort of thing. But nope. you do still ride and train or not really train so much? Yeah. No, I don't train so much. Not near like what I did. And for me... Like, next week, I'm going to go do a sprint enduro in Flagstaff, um, Arizona, for a couple of days. And then I'm going to do a week of rally training. So we'll start in uh, near Needles and ride in the desert, just practicing roadbook and strategy and do a couple of days in the dunes. One day um, from Needles to Pahrump, where Jimmy Lewis is at. And uh, So those are things that you have to stay fresh. It has to be automatic. If you're thinking with rally, um, with the navigation, you're going too slow. So you're either navigating or you're racing. It needs to be one or the other. And if you're navigating the whole time, you're just going to get smoked. So if you can stay on top of that, um, it's it's really good. And, and that's how you become the best. Um, and so I was in Spain a couple weeks ago doing some navigation training and also riding. And when I'm home, I love to do this work series. It's I thought I would be much better at it. It's like <laughs> motocross and off-road. But every round I've gotten smoked at, it's uh, starting to depress me and it really bums me out. Um, but I think to be good at it, it's a testament to how good these guys are. Like yeah, Taylor Roberts in general are so under underrated right like i don't understand how these guys can't come out to lakewood and like put it to you like no offense but that's it's unbelievable how fast taylor roberts is well i think that we underestimate them and they way overestimate us yeah motocrossers okay yeah it blows my mind so i get smoked at works every week but it's a really cool series and (laughs) great people yeah and it keeps the intensity in my riding which is good for rally but uh rally is my dream yeah you mentioned uh jimmy and he's been like a huge part of you learning this whole rally thing right like just the the road book the mentality the everything really right yeah some i've learned uh probably the most from the team you know just from uh there's a guy jordy villadomes he's really smart and uh 
he's more current on that stuff. But Jimmy's the best guy in North America to learn from. And his place, uh, his attitude, his mentality, his enthusiasm, um, he's a, a special guy and really cool. So without him, it would be really difficult to find uh, or to do any training here in the U.S. And uh, he's he's from his day when he raced rally it was a completely different sport yeah and a a different race and what he did was way gnarlier it was point to point in africa yeah um talk about crazy stories and and, (laughs) can't even imagine the the race was much longer in real life you know like no phone no sat phones no trackers like i don't know how they did it but they did so but he's really knowledgeable very intelligent and uh he's been uh great a great asset for me here but with the team that i ride for and the program that i'm with there's a reason why they've won the last i don't know how many it's like 18 dakars they won yeah it's crazy and um to me there there's uh one guy that's kind of been in charge of the riders for a while with jordy and he used to race as well and he's really intelligent um pela is the manager at rockstar husky and uh he raced as well so he's really knowledgeable and the teammates he was so good at supercross Really? Yeah. yeah, he raced Bercy. I know that. Uh, he almost won the year, the first year I did Bercy, 2006. He almost won. Yeah. Uh, he, I think he led after the first two nights the King. Yeah. And I don't remember, I don't remember who ended up winning. I think Porcel maybe. Yeah. But he was really good. Yeah, that's and, awesome. And World Enduro too. Like he was. Yeah, I think Enduro he was oh, really good. Unreal. Huh? Yeah. Like unreal. good technique. And I think Rally he was like on the cusp of it. I wish I could have seen him ride. And this is the shame, like, as a motocrosser, I feel like how you say we underestimate sometimes these riders. I never really paid attention to Rally, so I wish I would have seen these guys, but Rally's cool because all my teammates, too, have always helped me, and I really um, am thankful for that, and they're good people, and I would love to be able to give back and share that to to other riders as well, but... Um, it's a different environment where, like, you're not going to go over to, like, Jason, your teammate, and be like, hey, bro, are you taking the inside over there? Or oh, I'm going to go here. For fun. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't ever work out. Yeah. Rally is different. It's like you're racing against the clock. And those guys have been uh, – my teammate Pablo has been amazing, but all the guys there have been really cool. Dude, so Pablo, his crash this year. Yeah. Was ridiculous. Like, would, do you remember seeing that drop? Was he just going, yeah. like, way too freaking fast or what? No, he was – that's – okay, that's rally. Like, you're playing with fire all day. Yeah. And if he would have been 10 feet to the right, he would have been fine. But there was a helicopter out there, and so I knew someone crashed there when I went by. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, okay, something's dodgy here. And he had to send it. Like, he was Yeah, he had no choice. And I think he had a lot of pressure and nerves. And, dude, when your mind's clouded like that, yeah. you make rash decisions. And he would have been better if he wouldn't have chopped the throttle. He would have been I fine if he would have just stayed in it. He would have jumped that whole thing. And there's times <laughs> like that where there was one day I was behind him after the fuel stop. And uh, we did a mass start. And we were catching the group in front of us. And so I, my team manager said, whatever you do, you stay a Pablo all day. So whatever he did, I did, you know. And, dude, we dropped the biggest drop like that full throttle like same thing but we never chopped the gas and he sent it and i sent it right behind him and there's moments like that throughout the day where like dude that could have been really bad you know and unfortunately for him it's like he chopped the throttle and it went really bad for him yeah. so 
Dude, it was gnarly though. Like big crash. He's a bad dude for getting yeah. up. Like I wasn't laughing at the crash. I was laughing at just like how the the mindset right there. It's like, like big balls. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> like come on, that's insane. The year before in that same section of dunes, Joaquin Rodriguez he used to ride I for Factory Connection. Yeah, that oh, one was dude. really bad. Also. Yeah. So there's moments like that where that's where I say you're playing with fire, and if you're not playing with that fire, you get smoked. Like if you ride conservative on like that area you're gonna lose 10 minutes in like 100k yeah. so you do 300k that's 30, 30 minutes, minutes on the you day. know see you later and when you come in and you finish like 20 minutes behind you're like what just happened like you know so pretty soon you it, you just become numb to it and you just stay and stay on the gas and you see like toby he he's not normal and he does stuff that it's just it's it's crazy man yeah and it's crazy how fast those guys go. Um, back to the navigating thing a little bit. You were talking about the colors earlier and, and that whole deal. Like, when you're riding, do you do you base more off the color or you're like, okay, blue is right, I'm going to turn right, or it's just like blue, right? It's yeah. all like... I don't know. Every yeah, everybody has a different system, and it's that's why. Like, it, if it's automatic to them, they have to make split second decisions. You yeah. know, so like danger for me is orange. If I see any orange, yeah. I'm off the throttle. You know, if it's red, that means it's a triple danger. And if you hit a triple danger with any like speed, you're gonna die. You yeah. know, that's basically what it means. Like, there's a cliff, there's a drop, there's something really really bad. So if I see red, I'm off throttle. You know, and but even that, sometimes you lose track of your distance, and you'll be riding, you're like, you hit something, and you about die, and you're like, dude, that should have been on the road book, and then you look down, and you're like, oh, yeah, it was, I you was know? <laughs> so, it's hard to, I don't know, it's automatic, but in a sense, everyone has their own system, and it, from here on out, it looks like that's going away, you yeah. know? So, oh, and, and maybe in the future, it's going to be digital, which would be really crazy. They'll just put in the road book right when you're leaving. Like um, on a screen. Yeah, on a screen. Oh. I think that's the next step. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. And I think for the motorcycles, it won't be as big of an adjustment as for the car guys because the car guys, they'll be fixed inside their, their vehicle. So, And I think with the car guys, in my opinion, I think there's more opportunity to cheat um, just because there's more in there. With there's them. also a little more room for error. Yeah. With the real case. I mean, not that it's easy, but... Yeah, means, but and like, with a co-pilot, yeah. you know, a navigator, I think it helps. So, I don't know, but... I, I would love to see it go digital. I think it's going to make it more fair and not that it's not more fair. It, it'll make navigating that much more important and those who are good at navigating and are smart can really excel. And for me, a guy who doesn't have, say, quote unquote, as big as balls is like Toby Price. Yeah. It's a good thing, you know, because <laughs> I'm not going to send it down the road going a million miles an hour and just play with my life like he will. So um, if they put more navigation in, it will be good. And there's a new director for Dakar this year, too. And he's a former rider, a former navigator at a high, high level. Yeah. And he's organized many different Enduros and races throughout the world. And so this guy, I think, is going to be great for the sport, um, great for the event, and for the public as well. I think he's going to create a race that's uh, really entertaining. Skosh, accessories for life. Listen, guys, their slogan sums it up. They are accessories for your life. I use the Magic Mount vent clip every day, boom bottle all the time, go bat when we're traveling. Whatever it may be, the functionality and durability of these products is second to none. That's why myself and Rockstar and Jay Husqvarna Factory Racing choose Skosh. Accessories for life. Check them out at Skosh, S-C-O-S-C-H-E dot com. I, I mean, 
as a fan, I think all you know the more fair that the race can be, the better. But I feel like if you guys are all on, you know, if you get to the races here and you have to scrap your whole color plan, um, no matter what, it's going to make things more techy. I feel like yeah, for for as far as the navigation goes for each guy, it's going to change things a little bit. Exactly, and you know, it's not like you get to this note and it says turn right at. You know, in Dakar, they put these notes where it says oblique 180, turning to 170 after 600 meters, yeah. turning back to 160 after 400 meters, yeah. back to this. You know, so it's like four notes in one. And if we have time to edit the roadbook ourselves, we put in four different notes. But if you don't have time to edit it, you're really going to have to slow down, right, to right. get it right. So you catch the right valley or you go around the right mountain mm-hmm. or, you know, these things. So I think it is going to slow it down. And um, when it's time to navigate, you're going to really have to navigate. If it's time to race, I think people are still going to send it, you know. And places like the dunes or or different roads, I think the speed will still be really high. And uh, I think everyone will respect the danger still. Uh, The new roadbook system is just red. So anytime you see red, you're going to back up the throttle. So you guys have seen the colors already? Yeah, they presented it at the presentation for Dakar. And Dakar is moving to Saudi, which is... uh, Yeah, that was my next question, like how you feel about that. Yeah, it's uh, real controversial, obviously, from the political standpoint. From the sporting aspect, um, it looks to be extraordinary. The country has... uh, uh, great terrain, um, a lot of diversity from mountains to rocks. The empty quarter spills into the part of it, and the country itself is huge. It's massive. It's uh, you know we the United States is big in general, but it's this country is really big and it has a lot to offer. So and there's a, a lot of um, historical places, and I think politically that's not something that. Uh, for me is is you know obviously i'm educated somewhat on it but it's not something i'm not um super into but i think from the sporting aspect and what the country itself is investing in um from the political standpoint they want to uh, be a country of sport and i think for the perception of the public that's what they're trying to go at so they've paid a lot of money to have this race and to host it and obviously ASO, they do the Tour de France in the summer, and this is their big event in the winter. So they're putting a, a lot of attention to this race. So hopefully it goes well. So it's pretty far east, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's like, I, I mean, I've seen Saudi from, Abu Dhabi, you know, like when yeah. we're in, in uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, we race down there, and they're always like, hey, if you get close to the Saudi border and you see tanks, just make sure you ride the opposite direction, you know? <laughs> so I've seen Saudi from the distance, but I've never been there. But, yeah, it's, we race in similar similar region, and uh, it's a place that I like to ride, but obviously I've never been there. Yeah, one thing I, I learned um, as an American that, you know, I wouldn't say that I watch the news daily maybe like once a week or something i'm just not not really a current events guy um but as the more and more i traveled the more i felt like i was debunking what that what was what i was watching when i did watch the news do you feel that way at all mm, somewhat i feel like i'm pretty in tune with current events and it's something i try to stay educated on um, well i wouldn't say that i'm not in tune with current yeah. events i would say that i'm i'm not um but your perception of what it was daily politics and all that stuff you know yeah um i do know what's going on in the rest of the world but yeah 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 no but that's something that does interest me and not that i judge um what's right or wrong or i agree or disagree but i just it's something that interests me just now that i i do travel like what you're saying 
Um, but that's why I say for me to get involved with it, I think is kind of foolish. And I think from the sporting aspect, it's good. And I have a race coming up in Russia, Mongolia, China. The race, uh, uh, it's in July. It's called the Silkway Rally. And that one's kind of similar in that aspect. But for me to go see these cultures, have the opportunity to race in these environments and see the landscapes and whatnot is cool. Um, but to have a race of that distance and the challenge and all that is more appealing to me than seeing all that stuff. But I I don't know. I What do people think of the United States? And then they get yeah. here and their perception is different, you right. know. So I think that it's, it's true. It's what you're saying. It, it goes uh, it, no matter where you go. I think you'll, you'll find those same kind of beliefs. Silkway looks so sick. Like I've been watching it uh, last year's on TV. It's been on, I think, Mav actually lately. Yeah. Um, and it looks like almost more like an enduro than a than a, than what you would call a typical rally. Like it's a lot of mud and like green grass and stuff. And like not to mention Mongolia is one of the coolest places on earth. Yeah. And last year that session got canceled with uh, Mongolia and China, I think. So this year it goes into the Gobi Desert. And yeah. One day is just liaison over a thousand kilometers, which is going to be a little different for me but uh, i think the russia part is like you said it's it's going to be completely different than the desert have you been to russia no i've never been it's you had some crazy stories i've I've heard yours (laughs) (laughs) sounds like it uh and like i can't imagine being like the russian wilderness you know i was like moscow and a couple hundred k's away but like the wilderness of russia must be like a different planet yeah and that's honestly kind of what's scared they say they're going to try to run the helicopter over the course before we ride because the the bikes they they're the first ones that open the course yeah so with the uh, wildlife it's a bit dangerous you know going that's that fast yeah. and having uh, animals run out um so that's one thing that everyone's a little concerned about but it does look fun, like what you're saying. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Top Gear. Yeah. Uh, it's now called Grand Tour. It's on Amazon. Yeah. But there's a, a recent episode where they went to Mongolia and built a car out of this crate that they dropped in on parachutes. <laughs> yeah. You should watch it before you All go. Right. It's such a cool episode. It's so yeah. funny. Um, I got some listener questions. The uh, first question is from Cody Piscatelli. Um Tell us about some of the coolest, most, most exotic parts on your rally bike, like electronic suspension, active mapping, etc. Yeah, for the electronic stuff isn't so good for the desert, honestly, in my opinion. It's one more thing to go wrong, and it's not like you run air forks or anything like that. It's all pretty straightforward. One of the coolest things on our bike that I, I personally think that's nice is the speed zones. Like We have a button where we can activate certain speed. Um, so when we get in these towns, you don't get a speeding penalty. Like, that's really nice, and that's something that's pretty kind new. Kind of like F1 on pit exactly. road or whatever? Yeah, that's but cool. for different speeds, you know, and so whether it's 30, 50, 70, or they can change it, you know, per race. But It just knows, or you have different buttons for that? No, you, you have to learn as a rider how to activate these oh, things okay. and do all that. But honestly, there's nothing too crazy because you get stuff that's crazy and that's one more thing to break in the middle of the desert where some of the other manufacturers they have that but typically their top riders don't race with it i think they use that more for development okay um for other things and so but the bikes are crazy expensive and i think that's just because the limited quantities and they try to keep the weight down and try to keep the gas from splashing but even all the carbon on the tower and stuff for the road book but nothing too crazy i feel like um 
Yeah, everything's just purpose built. Bits and bobs, like, yeah. here and there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When I looked, at, when I saw, see the bikes at the factory and stuff, I'm always just like scouting little parts and stuff, and it's just kind of like the small things that make a big difference, like yeah. wire tie here and there, and yeah, just little stuff like that. The desert tricks, you know, yeah. like the mechanics. All those guys know some crazy yeah. stuff. All the little niche things. Even um, like the toolbox is all carbon, and everything has like a specific spice yeah yeah, yeah. Like that, really even like when i did six days like our tool bag was like bike specific every every wrench had a purpose yeah. you know the length of it the size of it whatever it's all like very purpose built yeah um next one's from dane evans um shorty now that you've had a taste of rally with success is the new goal to keep going until you win the car yeah i mean i think that's everybody's goal um for me one step at a time i was i was fifth i think for the most part they put one of the guys back so i think i'm sixth overall now is what they're saying um so yeah if i mean i mean realistically podium i think is that kind of the next step mm-hmm. um to win would be fantastic but i don't think you can get greedy but everyone wants to win obviously uh, for me to do that i got to get much better at in the dunes and opening track with no no tracks in front of me you know when you say opening track and talking about that like how much can you follow like when you're not opening um like for you to go follow you couldn't follow no once you learn how to follow it's like a specialty you know it's like it's something i've learned so now i'm really good at seeing or noticing tracks where you wouldn't even notice it's a track you know or so you can but if you're following a guy and he's going wrong direction or he's lost or someone's playing games you take yeah there's a lot of people that play games with that and you have to know how to navigate yeah and you have to be confident in your decision otherwise it it time adds dude if you go fast in the wrong direction that time adds up quick you <laughs> See know you later yeah so you um, can but you can't he also asks uh do you see yourself going into four wheels for rally in the future all on any roma silver prey uh monster dakar stuff in Pencil. yeah i mean that would be awesome but i for one the budget for those is crazy you know i think you need a million dollars to to drive a car just at dakar um, to navigate would be fun for me. I think I'd be a good asset if I was done with that. I think I have the knowledge from the last couple of years, and I, if that was your full-time job, you could be something I would like to do if I had the opportunity. But who knows? Doors open, doors closed. But I definitely have the rally bug and something I'd love to continue with. It's hard, though. Like Everything costs a lot of money, and yeah, you don't make a lot of money. Not, you know? No joke. Yeah. Um, this one's from Richard Engott from France. He says... Uh, is he even aware his team manager is the only rider in history to be world champion in both motocross and enduro? <laughs> no. I didn't know that either. Actually. I didn't know, yeah. So I think he was MX3 I know he, world champion. Okay. And then, obviously, enduro, he was multi Yeah, I know enduro, he crushed it. And, and uh, obviously, I'm, uh, I remember him racing at Bercy, but um, I just remember his name. You know, it's like all those French dudes were so fast. You go over there for practice. Yeah. You're like, who is this dude? And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, he's legit. So, um like long term um kind of wrapping up what what do you think like how many more years are you going to do this you've been racing for what 20 years now professionally yeah i don't know i've been racing for a while 34 uh no 36 36 so i'm just delaying the fact of growing up and i don't know doors open doors close and i've been very thankful and blessed to have a career as long as this one and it's been cool and i never thought i would even race rally so uh, we'll see where it goes. My deal's more or less up and kind of trying to figure out what's next. But uh, I'd love to continue with Rally. And even the work stuff has been uh, cool just to be involved with that program. Um, but I don't know. It's I'm at that age and at that place in life. I don't know. Um, 
what's best but I want to be surrounded by people uh, that live life at a at a high level that are motivated and I want to wake up every day with a goal and I think that's the hardest adjustment as a racer um, it's almost like life seems empty in that sense and I know that's foolish to say um, but as an athlete or somebody that's driven um, to replace something that you had a big passion about is difficult and for me to, with business I haven't found something that um, you know has a similar um, I don't know goal or mindset behind yeah. it so that's been a struggle of mine that I've personally dealt with you know and so I think at some point I need to figure out kind of um, what to do. But in the meantime, I've just been having fun racing, and <laughs> I don't know where it will go or how long um, it will last. But um, I've been very blessed on a lot of different levels, and I'm thankful for the people that are still behind me. And um, so, yeah, awesome. who knows? That's that's pretty uh, cool summary, I would say. Um, I always end with 10 just, like, personality questions. Um <laughs> Uh, most important object you own that you've purchased? I, I feel like nothing important that you purchase nothing is worth. Much. Okay. Yeah. Uh, guilty no. pleasure food? Uh, I love like chips and guacamole. Okay. Uh, morning person or night? Night. Uh, biggest pet peeve? Uh, people that don't like live life like 100% like full gas. Like if they're just doing something to do it, it bugs me. Okay. Like if they don't have, I don't know, I see people at the races and it's like a job. Or they're not 100% like into it. They're like, if, I don't know. You they, just want to slap them and tell them to. No, I I just don't want to work with those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, weirdest quirk. I don't know. We're all weird in our own way, okay. but I don't know. What's weird to me is not weird to you. That's fine. Um, any other sport that you could be or talent that you could have? What would it be? Mm, I, not that I'm like a dirt bike guy. I love it. Dirt yeah. bikes. Yeah. Okay. Um, travel back in time to any event. I, I enjoy the past, but I look forward to the future. So, I mean, I sometimes as a racer, I wish I would have enjoyed some of the moments of the success a little more. Yeah. But I think that's the mindset of why you get to where you did and the psychology behind it. I think that's what drives you to be better each and every day. And I think that's what creates uh, a competitive uh, human being. Okay. What if we open that up a little bit, like, to any time, like... Di- to go back? Yeah. Dinosaurs or no. uh, anything. I mean... I don't... Yeah. Nothing? No, nothing. Uh, okay. Yeah, I look forward to the future. Uh, opportunity. Thing you're the worst at? Uh, sometimes I have to catch myself because I worry and try to plan for things that aren't even here yet. Yeah. And I try to be too organized and I put power into things um, that aren't going to make a difference and uh, maybe lose track of what's important, um, whether it's you know, love or feelings or emotions with other people or how that affects people. Sometimes I get too consumed and trying to be too perfect. Okay, I can totally understand that. Um, thinking of the best at other than motocross or training or like a hidden talent? Mm. No, I don't. Yeah, I'm pretty one-dimensional okay. in that aspect. All right, all right, that's fine. Um, and a quote. Quote, uh, Psalms 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Awesome. It's like... I, I like know. it. Yeah. Um, 
Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for um, having me. You're going to get a Scotia gift bag. It's a bunch of cool stuff for your phone, um, trinkets and gadgets. They make some awesome little stuff that I use every day, um, and all the guests have been super stoked about having. Awesome. So Thanks for having that. me. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, enjoy your weekend here at Lakewood. Cool. Thanks, man. Later.